Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Kelly Schwartz-Kevel. She is a published author, a creative, and a social entrepreneur. Good morning, Kelly. Welcome. How are you today? Good morning, Brad. I'm well. So excited to be here. Excellent. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so very much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I'm really excited and looking forward to jumping in and learning more about who you are and what you do. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So as mentioned, you're a published author, a creative, and a social entrepreneur with a passion for empowering women and raising the quality of life for them and their children. You're also a podcast host, a life coach, and last but certainly not least, a mother. How on earth do you find the time for all of this and how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization to you? Oh, that's such an amazing question. And I think it's the one that so many of us are constantly reviewing, (laughs) (laughs) considering, reevaluating, realigning. I think prioritizing is key. And it is, for me, it has become an intuitive second nature, right? I'm always prioritizing. I'm always, you know, categorizing, okay, what's next in any given moment? And I think, I imagine from what I hear from the women in my world, many women are pretty adept at doing that because it is part of the way we survive (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) all the balls in the air. And so, you know, there are all these beautiful techniques and I'm always exploring new ones to master it, but I definitely, you know, scheduling is key. Yeah. For many years I resisted. I'm like, I'm, I'm a free spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then you get like virtually nothing done, you know, because it is hard to keep everything organized, but at least with the schedule, you know, what I've learned over the years is you can have everything mapped out and it relieves some of the stress because you, if you've got it scheduled out, you know, you've allotted time for X, Y, and Z. And if things go wrong, you can at least look at what you've already got mapped out. And then, you know, if you've been following some kind of routine schedule, time blocking, whatever, you know, whatever technique works for you. You know, things are semi-orderly so that when life happens, which it does and knocks all your organized plans off, <laughs> yes. you can at least look at the picture quickly and go, okay, what comes out, what stays, what gets moved around and, and grace. You know, I say this word, I feel like every day, just giving myself and others grace. You know, when someone has to reschedule, I don't get fired up about it. <laughs> yeah, you know what, though? There's a lot of people that really do, and they, oh, it really upsets them. And it's like, I, I can't be bothered. I'm like you. I Whatever. Shit happens. Life happens. And if we got to reschedule, okay, so be it. No problem. I mean, divine timing. It'll happen when it's meant to happen. 
100%, 100%. And it's just a lot of wasted energy when you, you know, start spinning your wheels around that stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's not worth it. It's okay. You can reschedule. No problem. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I love that, you know, like, you know, I always think about what do I want people to extend to me? You know, y'all do unto others as you would have them to you, right? And I'm not, you know, you know, I was raised Catholic. I was a good Catholic girl. That's not, you know, part of my regular routine these days, but it's certainly a part of me. And it's funny because I, I do think that I'm like, I want people to be cool with me if I have to juggle things around. Exactly. Because inevitably it's going to happen where you're going to have to schedule, reschedule something or cancel out or whatever the case may be. And yeah, of course you'd want that reciprocated to you. Absolutely. 100%. So Kelly, what does your morning routine look like? Oh gosh. You know, I thought about you and this question so much this morning because I'm (laughs) considering some of the things we're going to talk about today. And I was like, oh wow. So my morning routine, when everything goes as planned, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what maybe 50 percent yeah yeah <laughs> includes getting up really early which is not again something i did in my younger days but i have found that those morning hours are absolutely priceless and it really sets the tone for my whole day when i can get up before the sun and before the children i still have one young child at home the rest have have flown the coop so to speak but that really helps and then i usually spend a little bit of time writing i have to have my coffee i have not uh, given up that vice <laughs> it is a requirement right after yeah. you know rising up that's where my body takes me to the coffee pot and then i also just you know do i worked with a health coach years ago and she recommended this Himalayan salt lime, which she called a shot. Obviously there's no alcohol in it, right. but it's just a little, a little bit of water, you know, maybe a tablespoon or two of warm water, a little bit of lime juice and Himalayan salt. And, and the idea is that it levels out, it helps you to align your cortisol levels, which Interesting. I find really useful. So yeah, that's something I've subscribed to. Hmm. So, but I would say the biggest thing that's non-negotiable is the coffee and the rice. <laughs> of course, the coffee. Of what? course, the coffee. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's the tone. So, Kelly, what were you doing for a living before you jumped into coaching and entrepreneurship? So, I am an early educator by trade. So for many, many years, I worked in every capacity you could imagine in early education from obviously being a teacher to being a director. I was a parent advocate for years, and I still consult with early education programs and train teachers. And that's a little piece of the work I do as well. Another part of my bread and butter, if you will. I love it. And it is obviously key to the work I'm doing now in my coaching and mentoring business, which is, you know, really supporting women and in turn children. You know, you can can't yeah. really separate the two in most cases. You have to look at families when you're looking at how to support young children. And I just think it's so insanely foundational and so important to every single one of us, whether we have children in our lives or not. It is undeniably the foundation of our culture. <laughs> yeah, for anyway, sure. It's like, you can't not look at this. And unfortunately, I get my back up a little around this topic because I feel like as a society, we say we care about children and education and all those things, but you know, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. We really dedicate our resources, which is sad because it shows. Well, that's where a lot of the resources should be going because our kids are our future. They're the ones who are going to be running this place 
you know, and we need to invest in them. Yes. And the investment in children, young children, middle childhood, uh, Mm -hmm. teens, all of that, you know, again, it affects all of us. It supports all of us. You know, we're growing up these humans, these people that are going to run our society and our neighborhoods, our culture, what have you, however you want to define it, our families. And for them to be supported and guided and loved and seen in their entirety is so vital. And I love, there's this real push that I bring to all parts of my work. I feel like there's a real push in child development and early education in being really clear about seeing the whole child, right? You might hear yeah. it more commonly, but nobody wants to be defined by their worst characteristic or worst no. action. So really being able to see that we are whole people from the get-go and and honoring. So what inspired the jump for you into becoming a coach? Well, to be completely transparent, it is what I was just saying about put your money where your mouth is. Mm. The average early educator lives below the poverty line. The average early educator is expected to have all kinds of education, PhDs some have, and the pay is just atrocious. And so I have, through my entire career, I've been trying to lace all of my interests and skills and experience and joys and creativities to create my own path because working within that field meant, especially once I went through a divorce with four children, that I was going to have to find some other way to support myself and my family. And it's so hard because- The work is, as I said, I love the work and I, I'm constantly finding ways to get back to it. And that's why my focus is on women and, and children. I mean, the obvious, I'm a woman of course. <laughs> and I'm a mom and I am, I am a woman who went from being in a relationship where there were two incomes to trying to do it on my own. And that is a really intense journey. For sure. And so, so yeah, that was the leap. That was the, one of the main main motivations. So how long have you been a coach now? I've been working in this field for just a couple of years. So not unlike many who during COVID were looking at other ways of connecting in and continuing to do your work. I found this online world of coaching and I was like, wow, what is, what is, what is happening here? And I just felt so inspired by it. And I knew very little about it. I, I did know of life coaching and I'd worked with a life coach once, like one, a, a session with a life coach at one of my okay. like school auctions. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And that was like 10 years ago or so. And I had really thought it was powerful, but the online space is so insanely incredible. Like you can be so selective. You can pick people across the world that you connect with. And that is just powerful, powerful stuff. It is. It's incredible what COVID has done for the world and how it's opened so many things up. I was just speaking with someone about this yesterday, the fact that we can connect with people on the other side of the world. Whereas before we didn't think about doing that. We didn't really have, I mean, yes, the technology was there, but I mean, we were forced into this, so it's just opened an entirely new world up for everybody, and it's so powerful and so incredible. Yes, it is, and I know, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but it is like the silver lining, like like everything in life, there is something amazing you can pull from even the most horrific, tragic experiences, and I think COVID has done a lot of amazing things. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I think I actually believe it's done more good than bad. I really do in the long, 
in the long run or looking at the long game or looking at the whole picture. Yeah. I think there's been a lot more good that's come out of it. And I think that, as you said, we have to look for that silver lining in all situations. But I think this one in particular, because of all the negativity that was surrounding it and around it and always brought up whenever you talk about, it's all negativity. So yes. if we look at the flip side of that and look at the positive in it, there's a hell of a lot of good that's come out of it. Oh yeah. I, it definitely has been the experience for me. And I remember when the, and I'm using my air quotes, the shutdown, the <laughs> lockdown started, yeah. everybody was up in arms. Or it felt, oh yeah. And I was like, this is fantastic. We're all <laughs> yeah. just, all my older children were home from college. Everyone was with me. Yeah. It was awesome. I was like, this is great. We all together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my exactly. 19 and 20 year olds were like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> So Kelly, why did you decide to focus your energy and business on helping to empower women? Did this journey begin with some of your own personal struggles? Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you know, I, in college, I went to a Jesuit school, a okay. private school, and I started a feminist group and, you know, wow. this, this was my thing. And then I got married and... I fell into all of the stereotypical expectations that I didn't even know I had so strongly held. And it really served me in some ways. Obviously, if you step into something, you're doing it for a reason. But yeah. what I found was I was slowly, slowly becoming really unfulfilled. I felt like I wasn't living my life fully. And, you know, I have the privilege of saying that, you know, I had things but I didn't feel like I was really living my life. And that's painful. And yeah. not everyone can appreciate it. You know, some people can look at it and be like, oh, poor you, right? Yeah. This house. But it is a painful situation because it's not obvious. You know, you're not walking around with bruises on your face, you know, some really terribly obvious pain, but it is a deep pain to lose touch with who you are and what you want to do with this beautiful, precious life that you have. That's the thing though, right? If people don't see physical marks or they can't mm -hmm. see like your arm is in a cast or it's the same, it's all the same thing around mental health too, right? If people yes. can't see it, then it doesn't exist. And it most certainly exists. And I know, you know, from speaking to so many amazing, powerful women and, and I say powerful again with air quotes because power yeah. manifest itself in so many different ways in any individual, but I think many people and certainly many women experience this because the cultural expectations as we all, you know, live yeah. under, right? Yeah. You know, we can fall into a rhythm and a routine that doesn't serve us. You know, I loved being a stay-at-home mom, which was a big part of my life for many years. I yeah. absolutely adored it. Being an early educator, it was perfect. My husband at the time loved that I turned our formal living room into like a preschool. <laughs> like, this is interesting. This is the first thing people see when they come in our home. And I was kind of like, yeah, and I don't care. I live here. <laughs> it's my house. Yeah, I live here. And, you know, so I really just wanted to show my children, especially my daughter. I have four children, three boys and one girl, which is an amazing gift I didn't expect. I always thought a mom of a girl. Like I just assumed that from my, I don't know why, you know, that's kind of how we roll. 
And then I had my first child and he was a boy and the most fantastic human. Oh my God, I adore him. Like I love all my children and I love to be, of course, right. But I love to be able to say that, you know, I love them as people. Like if they weren't my children, I'd want to spend time with them. And that's a gift as well. But again, I wanted to show them and my daughter, especially that, you know, it's important to fill your life up and to look at yourself and to care about yourself and to love yourself deeply. And I was not doing that. And I was suffering under that. And I was wasting precious time. And I feel in many ways. Well, I mean, we only have one shot at this life, one go around. So you might as well make the best of it that you can. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many women, you know, what's, what's translated for me as I've been doing this work and going through this journey on as, you know, myself is that women especially are not taught to really focus in on the financial pieces of life. And that's a more practical piece that I am continuing to see women struggling with, continuing to explore ways of building this in myself as well as the women I work with, which is, you know, it is one of the great equalizers. And Mm -hmm. if you do not have financial resources, it makes it really hard to step fully into your life. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, I think that's important, the work you're doing and and educating women around that piece of it. Because you're right, a lot of women aren't taught about that stuff and learned and shown that those types of things. Yes. Or we're taught that it's not becoming, right? Yeah. Not want to focus in on that. It's not becoming to be worried about money or, you know, and the whole, you know, I'm not going to go down that path, but the whole gold digger thing, you know, oh my God, it's so unreasonable for a woman to be care, you know, to care about her financial security. Which is ridiculous. It's time to shatter those societal standards that have been bred into women from when they were kids. Mm-hmm. It's yes. ridiculous. That, that that those things, I mean, let's be honest, it's ridiculous that there's a lot of shit that still exists around women and way that women were raised and brought up as, as girls and what they were taught. And it's time to start shattering all of those things. Yes. A funny story, Brad. I, as I mentioned, I was comfortable. I'm not saying I was living, you know, this lavish lifestyle, but we were very comfortable financially. I felt like my children and I had everything we needed yeah. um, more. And when I left that marriage, I was like, you know, it's not about the money. I want to be loved. I want to be appreciated. And all of that is important. Don't get me wrong. That is absolutely 100% important. And part of the work I continue to do has to start with you, not the person in relationship with. But I remember that first year stepping out on my own. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) There is a bit. Wait a minute. Let's pause here. (laughs) I need to focus on the financial piece because you know, it creates an environment where women, they're in a position of being controlled. The controlling piece is continuing for some women when they step out, if they're unable to support themselves, they're relying yeah. on support or what have you, government. Whatever houses. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not an easy road to hoe. You know, I can remember for the sure. first time I had to go in and look at maybe getting some services. I had never been in that situation in my life. I had no idea how to navigate the systems, even the physicality of walking into some of these places. I remember the first time I walked in and I sat down and people were yelling and people, it was cold and the environment was so stereotypical. It was exactly what I thought it would be. I was like, where are the flowers? Do you have a glass of water? Like, this is horrible. (laughs) 
everyone's so angry in here. And I just remember leaving crying with no services. I was like, this is crazy. Like I, you know, and again, like you could say, put your big pants on girl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, I had to, I, I yeah. figured it out. But again, it's just, those pieces are not something you can ignore. And it is really important for women to be able to navigate for sure financial security in order to get to all the other goodness. Yeah, absolutely. And so how have these experiences helped shape the Kelly you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? I think one of the most amazing thing that's happened, Brad, for me is I can remember before I even started doing the coaching and mentoring, I was sitting thinking, wow. I went from having all this, you know, from the exterior looking like this, right? Big house, beach place, multiple cars, right? All of the markers from the outside, husband, children, right? Dog, all the goodness that we think we should have. And then I was living basically in a large room in my parents' home temporarily with my four children. They were in other spaces, but I was in this kind of extra bonus room and I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I've fallen, I've fallen so far. But what I realized, you know, after some contemplation and some tears and all of this and some time was, wait a minute, I am the same Kelly. I am the exact same human, <laughs> regardless of whether I'm living in a beautiful house or I'm, you know, camping out in my parents' bonus room. And like all of that means so very little as to who I am. And it was this beautiful moment for me where I was like, wait a second, I get to be me no matter where I am, no matter what is happening. And so this really, this journey that felt like a fall from grace really showed me that I have absolutely everything I need always, which is so cliche, but the best cliches are so true. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, I, I just was like, wait a minute. I can still laugh. I still love, I have my beautiful children are healthy and around me. Like I was able to look at all of the goodness. My parents were warm and welcoming and loving and supporting and, you know. At least you had somewhere to go. Right? Exactly. There's I, a lot of people that don't have that. That have nothing and have yeah. to, you know, it was such a, a, a good place to be, to yeah. be able to stop and say, let's look at all you have to be grateful for. And that doesn't mean you don't, you know, look at the things that are hard. It doesn't of mean course. that you don't grieve. All of that is crucial and important, but gratitude, I heard someone say this and I repeat it all the time. It's almost impossible to feel great grief or sadness when you are in gratitude. So when you need a reprieve, when things are feeling overwhelming, when you're in despair, you have this, this option to go into, I'm grateful I have this cup of coffee. I'm grateful I have this pencil to write with. I'm grateful I'm able to write. I'm grateful I have a bed to lay in tonight, right? Whatever. And then just building on all the little things into the giant things, you know, like I have For a sure. family. So I would say that's, that's really been the most beautiful gift. And so what type of person or client is your ideal client? Like what things do you look for in a potential client before deciding to work with them? That's a great question too. You know, I think it's a question in the coaching and mentoring world we ask all the time or we are asked often. And I would say the biggest thing I'm looking for when I'm meeting with a client is her willingness to transform her life. Now, when I say transform, that's also a buzzword. So let me like back up from that a little bit. <laughs> Willing to step into her life, you know, because I think transform, you know, it's like, oh, are we transforming? Are we changing who we are? 
yes and no. I think we are who we are. And I think for women, it's a lot of kind of peeling back all those layers and getting maybe back to ourselves, back to yeah. the person we know we are. So many of the women I work with are in some form of transition. So maybe they're freshly, you know, moving into the world of being a single parent or newly divorced. Some actually have been on that journey for a while, but they are still at the beginning stages of the transition as far as where they are mentally, you know, we are all on the path and taking our time. So I've met some women who come out of the gate, like, wow, like <laughs> master's degrees and bodybuilding and like, yeah. And then others are crying and, you know, spending time really just trying to figure things out or maybe struggling longer. It, you know, it's, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. We, we, we deal with life the way we deal with life. So I would say that my ideal client is a woman who is in the process of stepping into her story, stepping fully into her life. Beautiful. So what lights you up or excites you the most about the work that you're doing? Oh my God. You know, it's the sisterhood. It's the collective. It's the collaboration. I get so much selfishly. <laughs> it's so much from working with other women. And again, ironically that it started during COVID when we weren't able to necessarily physically be close to one another, but just, you know, I think women are the storytellers. I am a writer as well. And what I see in women is the storytelling. Like we are not only documenting and archiving the lives of our families, our children, but we are building our relationships through stories. So when we come together, you know, I share my story, you share your story. There's like this back and forth that just helps us to build. And again, you know, I say women because that's where my journey has taken me right now. Having three boys Part of my journey is looking at women in community with men. Because, you know, so many of the stories I hear from women are painful stories around their connections to men and what society has told us about what those connections should look like and what they're for, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, just having boys was such a gift from God for me to like really explore that because I would say that many of my connections with men are less than positive, you know, and not completely. I have some really wonderful experiences as well, but women coming together is something that has always filled my heart. I have a baby sister who's just a year younger than me. I'm super close to my mother, my aunties. I went to an all-girls public high school in Baltimore, yeah. which is kind of unusual, but just the energy of other women in our sadness, in our celebration, in our laughter, in our in our tears is just life-giving. You have a passion, obviously, for empowering women in and through your work. What do you do to empower yourself and other women? Mm. Again, I would say creating community has been really my focus. We just did an in-person writer's retreat. Awesome. And it was a small, private, intimate group, which was beautiful because everyone felt super comfortable within a very short period of time. <laughs> we had access to an outdoor space. So being close to nature, there were gardens and flowers and grass to sit on. And yeah, just finding moments and opportunities and creating moments and opportunities for women to come together, whether it be virtually or in person. And of course, with the world opening up, I'm really beefing up my efforts to to bring women together physically as well as yeah. you know, across across the internet. And for me, that's it. You know, when things yeah. are tough, I do a lot of writing, and I within my programs, we use writing as our main one of our main tools. One of our, you know, I, I refer to it as our compass, our wayfinder. So we're 
often really good at talking. <laughs> <laughs> and that can just go round and round. But having us come together collectively in the same space at the same time, sitting and maybe just using the same writing prompt and just like focusing in. So together, but in individual coming together and, and discovering more of what we already know. You know, we might start writing something really benign like what's your what was your favorite piece of furniture in your home when you were five to yeah you know discovering something really amazing about sitting in that chair with your pop pop right yeah meant yeah it's funny i was talking with someone yesterday and we we're talking about women back in medieval times and how women would sit around in circles and and share stories and talk about stories and all of those things and then things obviously shifted but now we're seeing a shift back to those days again where women are gathering and sitting around in those circles and it's just funny how time has changed that and how we're now coming back around to what as it does with everything in life it always comes back around with fads everything right it always comes back around to what it was previously it's very interesting. Well, and you know, it's also interesting because when you said that, the one thing I was thinking about is not only coming back to that, but honoring it and yeah. really big value. Because, you know, you think of some of the things, if you think like, I think back to my mom, right? In the 70s, right. raising us up. Tupperware parties, right? Yeah. I mean, you see a Tupperware party depicted <laughs> in any piece of... Oh, yeah. It's like ridiculous, right? It's these, yep. you know, women who are prancing around with their colored their yellow goldenrod yellow tupperware containers yeah but again i feel like if you really look at what that's all about it was a powerful thing still it was women trying to find a way to gather it was you know what was happening yeah. tupperware parties was just not about tupperware no of course tupperware <laughs> so, really was just the the small the smallest piece of all that right and i just think that as a woman especially a woman moving into my 50s i'm 52 and my own ideas about middle-aged women i mean even saying the word middle-aged woman like just makes me so uncomfortable yeah yeah in our society the middle-aged woman is not revered she is beginning to become obsolete invisible unimportant like yeah and and I think that we are having a shift. You know, I saw recently they compared the image of the women from the Golden Girls with the women <laughs> from the Sex in the City reboot. Yes. And ages. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that too. Yes. <laughs> but I think like just even the physicality of like. I think they said actually the Golden Girls were younger. Yes. I right. right. <laughs> but it, it's this, it has to come from us. You know, it has to come from women saying, yes, this is valuable. What, you know, however it looks, you know, and having the outsides match the insides, you know, can help, but it's not yeah. possible straight away. And so I just think that women really honoring the importance of this, like this isn't just a little something I'm doing, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Life giving to be with other women collectively coming together. And, and again, I know you're just, your work is, you know, as an, I like to refer to you as an ally, like your work as an <laughs> yeah. ally is powerful because it, it adds validity to what we need to, to see, not only what we want men to see in yeah, what we want sure. to see in ourselves. For sure. Right. I've been referred to as a magical unicorn as well. So there <laughs> yes. you go. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> It's- now, you've mentioned you have four kids, three three boys and one one girl. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, how do you empower your children and how do you empower your sons versus your daughter? Well, you know, I think I always go back to number one, letting them be who they are 
another kind of cliche statement. Sometimes I feel like I talk in cliches all day long. <laughs> but as I grow older, I'm like, now I know why they always said that. It's so true. <laughs> but really just letting them be who they are. And it's not always easy. You know, we have a lot of big ideas about, you know, what happens in our children's lives and how it reflects on us, our expectations for their lives, what we want for them. And one of the greatest gifts I've gotten over the last eight, nine years as I've gone through kind of some big challenges in my own life is that it's so vital for me again to see them in their entirety and to let them you know live their lives and as they've become young adults really stepping back not stepping away mm-hmm. stepping back so i'm available a story I've been sharing lately, my oldest son lost a really dear friend in September of last year to what may or may not have been suicide. He was his freshman roommate. Mm-hmm. They were such close friends, this whole group of creatives, right? He's in yeah. school and they all, oh, they just are together constantly creating these beautiful things at work. And when it happened and he called me, I, you know, I was so heartbroken because I know yeah. did. And, you know, you make all the connections to your own child and, oh my gosh, how they, are they suffering? Are they afraid? You know, what do they need? Yeah, exactly. Course, as a mother, you want to like be there. Yeah. I'd imagine as a father, this happens to yeah. you. Yeah. You want to be there. And he's a few hours away from me and I had to wait. And I felt like this was a gift I gave to him. I didn't rush in and try to make him feel better. Yeah, fix it. Yeah. I didn't rush in and try to solve a problem. I allowed him to, you know, take the lead. And I, you know, I reiterated, not too much. Like when you need me, tell me, I'll come. It's It's no big thing. Whatever I'm doing, I'll stop. I'll be there. And waiting was so, so hard. But he did call and he said, mom, I want you to come, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course I was like, I'll be right there. And I went up and cried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I cried like a baby. And then I drove yeah. a million miles an hour up the road. And then when I was there again, being there with him and his friends and their grief, like just being available, if a kid needed a hug, I was there yeah. to hug them, but also not coming in and trying to tell them how to grieve, tell them how to feel about all of this. So I just feel like it's a good example where I was really called to think about my role as, as his mother and mm-hmm. how I help him step into his own power. And I know through that experience, it's continuing. It hasn't even been a year, but I think through that experience, he's learned so much about himself and hopefully built some confidence in how he can weather the most painful of experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You have to give them that space to go through it and experience it because if we swoop in as parents and try to fix everything for them, they're not going to know how to deal with this stuff when it does come up. Yes. So kudos to you for recognizing that and for giving him the space to deal with that and giving him the permission to deal with that. And then to know that you're there when he needs you that I think that's such an important part of being a parent is to not rush in and fix everything like we want to because of course we don't want to see our kids suffer but we also want them to learn how to handle situations and deal with them when they come up and it was a lesson for me and also holding space for someone else right yeah when I went there and there were all of these kids just in so much grief and then the mother and then the other mothers and there was so much happening but just you know being available and being able to to experience my own grief around yeah for sure myself to do that and and not you know, I felt like the, there are lots of examples like this. And again, I don't know from from the perspective of a father if it's the same, but I know for us as mothers, there's a lot of expectations about making things better. Yeah. So there was some fear and some anxiety around letting go. Like, am I a good mother if I step back? 
is yeah. mothering being all encompassing, right? Yeah. So practicing some of that. For sure. Well, kudos to you for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then just in general, like, you know, I think you teach our children how to be in their own personal power by stepping into our own. Absolutely. That's how we're doing it. Hopefully they're watching. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of empowerment, what does that word mean to you? Oh, empowerment means deeply loving yourself so that you can step into whatever it is you're called to do. So for some of us, that's, you know, stepping into this position of leadership um, for a big corporation. For some of us, it's stepping into leadership in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And for some of us, it's being the support, the bones of a group, right? I think it's the deep self-love is so crucial to empowerment because it helps you to identify what your calling is. I love that definition. Mm -hmm. So I want to speak a little bit about creativity, yeah. Kelly, with you being a creative soul. This is something I often think about and wonder about when it comes to artists, athletes, musicians, etc. There are some people I think that are just born naturally with an innate talent. It's almost like they come out of the womb with say a guitar in their hand or a paintbrush in their hand or you know what I mean? Like it's just there. And there are others obviously. I mean, let's say let's just say for sake of argument that innate talent is in 10%. The other 90% they have to practice and work at it and hone those skills to become artistic. Now, do you think that the, that other 90%, do you think it's possible for them to get to that skill level of the 10% who are just innately born with that level? And that's not to say that that 10% doesn't have to practice because of course they do. They have sure. to practice their skill set, but it's just like they're just born with it. And this 90% has to work much harder. Do you think that they can attain that same level of skill or expertise in whatever area that that may be athletes, musicians, uh, artists, whatever the case may be? Do you think it's possible? And do you think it's possible that they can learn and be taught that so that they do are able to reach that skill level? Yes. I think there may be some nuances in the actual level, if you will. But in, in the end, I think you most certainly, if you have a drive and a passion, that you can get there. And again, I'm, you know, I qualify by saying, I think there, that perhaps you could argue there may not be the exact same level, but I, I feel like that is less important. Again, if you go back to what's the point? If you absolutely love playing the guitar and mm -hmm. you've started playing, you've found one when you were young and you've just played forever. I mean, the most important thing is that you're playing, that you're loving it. And, you know, I think that one thing I've noticed, again, from my experiences in the world, but also from being a parent is, you know, I think a lot of times we go towards what we think we're supposed to be doing, what we think we're supposed to be good at. And if we are allowed to really discover and really understand and identify what we are innately good at and passionate about, those are the people that hit that high, high level, right? Because yeah. they've been given permission to go down that road. And I certainly have had in my experience, know, knowing people who are, for example, really wonderful visual artists, but their skills have not been developed because they were told that was not valuable. 
And so they've shifted their energy and their focus. But I see it there, right? You can see it in friends and family and children and, and people in your world. Like I see that if they were allowed the opportunity or if they gave themselves permission. Well, I mean, let's let's just look at the artists. People are always told, you can't make money at that. Mm-hmm. You can't make a living being an artist. That's not possible, And which is ridiculous <laughs> because you can. But that was the way of thinking. That's what we, how we were conditioned. I mean, even go back to we're we're of the same age, we're of the same era. Go back to even when we were kids, our parents would never have encouraged art as a career. Not to say that they wouldn't have encouraged art to to do it if this is something you love doing. Great, that's wonderful. Do it, but I don't think it would have been encouraged as a career path. And then we look at our generation, like our parents, there's no way in hell that would have been encouraged to pursue a career as an artist. Exactly. Oh, you're so right. You're so, so right. And I even, you know, again, back to the stories. I, in high school, I was in theater and Baltimore has this great school. It's called Maryland now, but it was Baltimore School for the Arts. And I did all these like programs around that. And when it came time to get into high school, I wanted to go there. And that was exactly my experience. And my parents were beautiful loving supportive people but they were like "Mm, (laughs) not so much let's not do it so let's go to the college prep school yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and that's what I did right and I will say I don't like to say I have a lot of regrets but that is one thing I'm like oh my god like you know when I see celebrities that came out of that school I'm like oh man we could have been friends (laughs) 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 I would have been friends with Tupac come on now You missed the boat on that one. Right? But just to echo what you were saying, like, yeah, it's a matter of what is considered important. I think with the arts, which is, again, if you were going to just look at masculine and feminine and the energies around masculine and feminine experiences, jobs, ways of being in the world, certainly those creative pieces have been, you know, pushed not only into like the feminine, but into woman. Yeah. So I think even when you look at male artists versus female artists, you know, there's a bigger disparaging gap. For sure. Between the two. Uh, But I do, I I guess what I'm, I think in response to, to your question, which is a beautiful one and such a great one to like, just sit and ponder and explore and, and think about is that I think we all should explore those, those pieces of ourselves that take us in the path of creativity whether it yeah. be in an actual art, if you will, with a capital A, or whether it's yeah. the way you live your life and the way you move through the world and the way you know you organize your home, whatever. Absolutely. What inspires you to create? Where do you pull inspiration from when creating? Nature is so powerful. I find that I really, you know, some writers will talk about feeling channeled, and I haven't experienced that a ton. But when I am really connected into nature, even if it's just working in front of my window and looking outside, I feel so excited. And, you know, it's that, that I think when people talk about channeling, you almost feel like there's like a loss of time, like yeah. it's just coming to you. And it's just this moment that's hard to record in any, you know, in yeah. any way than in whatever you're creating this creative, whether it be a piece of writing or, you know, artwork or music or what have you. And I would say, you know, beyond being connected into nature, whether you're outside or kind of looking at it from the inside out, also just having the quiet moments, you know, um, yeah. really tap in because life is so loud and busy and it really allows you to disconnect from yourself because it's just this kind of can be this treadmill of 
Oh, absolutely. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, yep. I think it allows you to go within. Yes. So just having some quiet time. That's why for me, the mornings, like this morning, I didn't allow myself a lot of morning time. (laughs) And I was like, oh gosh, I need that time. My son was already up bouncing around downstairs. And I know that that interrupts for me a little bit. Like, oh, I'm not going to have that moment to tap in straight away. But I think you can create the opportunities throughout your day too. For sure. What is your favorite form or way of creating and expressing your creativity? I would say writing has really been my favorite form. I I feel like with writing, so much healing happens. And also for me, I'm a big talker, but I find when I write, I can, can somehow become much more concise. I somehow can be much more clear. So for me, writing has been that that window into really, really into the essence of who I am. Like when I write, sometimes I feel like it doesn't match my presentation. Yeah. <laughs> like I recently did a piece in a multi-author book and I jokingly was telling people like, oh, it's very existential. It's very <laughs> poetic because I didn't write it in my traditional like storytelling format, but I love it. I love it. And I feel like it's beautiful and I'll read it out loud to myself. <laughs> it's really wonderful, Kelly. But <laughs> You did an amazing job, Kelly. Such a great job, Kelly. But I don't know that, again, I don't know that others are going to feel the same way. Some people, you know, have shared with me their experience of it. But the reason I bring that up is because it is a way for me to tap into myself, like on such a deep level. And it feels so good. It's like when I look at a picture of myself as a four or five-year-old and I'm like, there she is. She's so darn cute. (laughs) (laughs) I can feel myself in my entirety. Like I'm a whole person. I'm not just the middle-aged mom of four, right? I can tap into the Kelly that is. All the So speaking of writing and being an author, you are an author. And was writing something that was always part of who you were, who you are, or is this a, is writing a fairly new path? And can you tell us a little bit about the book you wrote, the chapter you contributed, whatever the case was, and the title of that book? Yes. So yes, I always say that I've been writing since I could write. I've been writing okay. stories and books. My mom was an avid reader. And you know, I think about this often with my own children as I was raising them up. I would see my mother reading all the time. She always has, to this day, she's 81. She was here yesterday. She's like, where's my book? (laughs) (laughs) She always has a book. And I watched that and I saw her kind of go into herself versus the whirlwind that she was or is when she's taking care of all of us. And I just fell in love with reading, you know, watching her made me want to read. I remember the first time I read a book, it was Dick and Jane. (laughs) (laughs) We can debate. I know that's politically incorrect these days. I think Dick and Jane has been frowned upon, but it was part of my repertoire. And I was so proud of myself for reading a whole chapter. And I remember I was four. I remember reading it out loud to my mother, like, Oh my God, watch this. I can <laughs> And you know, those are powerful moments in a child's they are. life. And I remember writing a series of books when I was about 10. They were called the Molly books. <laughs> and it's it's sad part of that story is that when I was in my twenties, I remember going through old things and trying to be someone that I thought I was supposed to be. And I threw out every picture I could find that I thought was ugly of myself. And I threw away my Molly books. Oh no. And 
I just want to cry about it today because I'm like, God, I would love to read those books today. <laughs> yeah. But it was this kind of like, oh, I want to be something else. I want to be loved by everybody. I want to be what I'm supposed to be, you know, just this young 20 year old, somebody trying to figure a way in the world. And part of that was kind of disregarding parts of myself for a while. But writing has always supported me. And even when I wasn't like working in an environment where writing was part of my work or, you know, publishing, I have always used it as a tool for healing. I like to say writing is my friend. When I went to Brazil for two weeks, I did not speak Portuguese. I could say like obrigado and ciao. And that was the extent of it. <laughs> I wrote like four journals full, like, because I just needed to, to express myself. I just needed to share with somebody, you know, what was happening for me in this experience. So writing has always been my friend, has always been a tool and I love sharing writing. I love working. I'm right now, I'm running a program where we're, it's called Conversations Between Women, the stories mm -hmm. that heal us. And we are coming together to do some work like you do, Brad. We are creating a multi-author book and we're doing just so many fun exercises together where we sit and we write in community and then we share and we look for the goodness and we laugh at the horribleness. And <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful and powerful. I think right? it's incredible. Yeah, it is. You reminded me when you said you were in Brazil for two weeks, I went to Europe for two and a half months and mm -hmm. I kept a journal and I wrote in that journal every, I have to find that journal. It yeah. just like, I, I have not thought about that. And I went to Europe in 99. So I have not thought about it since then. And I, rem I now that you brought this up, it's like, holy shit, I wonder where that journal is. Because I would love to find that and look back on that and read some of those entries about those experiences in that trip. Yes. Oh, those old journals are so powerful. I go to mine <laughs> way more than I should. My daughter's like, what are you doing with that teddy bear covered journal? I'm like, I was so brilliant in the eighth grade. Let me share something with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, please stop. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but you know what's interesting, Brad? I have found, and I, I'm curious to see what your experience is when, when and if you go back through some old journals. Like, I always am amazed at how much I did know, you know? Yeah. Wow, yeah. I was 14. Look what yeah. I'm doing, you know, and it helps, it helps me to see that there is that inner knowing that's been there all along. You know, I read something from college the other day. Well, I should say I read it a couple of years ago when I was in the thick of, making a lot of major transitions. And I was like, oh my God, I knew then what I, <laughs> how come I forgot for the last 20 some Yeah. I'm sure there are also very cringeworthy things too. Uh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> there is one where the front I wrote, please no one read this, but my sister. <laughs> but those would be fun to, to go back and read anyways, you know, and just yes. experience that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kelly, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I believe it is creating a space for the people I'm with to feel like comfortable, like a soft place to land. Like I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be honest. I'm not trying, you know, in this work as mentoring and coaching, there's a big emphasis on being the authority. Be an authority. Speak yeah. Authority, right? And, yep. and I honor that. I respect that. But I also, I really prefer the word mentor to coach because I feel like the work I do is is helping women to tap into what they already know. Just providing guidance, providing support, kind of like a, like a container. You hear the word container all the yeah. time. Again, we're back to Tupperware. But <laughs> like, <laughs> like thinking of like holding, like with my hands, like creating a container for women to feel safe enough to take risks, feel safe enough to 
explore the messy bits, if you will, and humor. Like I, I love to laugh and I, I love to laugh at myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have to, I mean, you have to be able to laugh at ourselves. Yes. And I think, so I like to imagine sometimes, do you remember the show? There was a TV show called, I think it was called Cold Case. Kevin Bacon's wife was in it. I can't remember her name. I hate that I just referred to her by her. Kira Sedgwick. Thank you, Kira Sedgwick. I could not remember her name. But anyway, in that show, they always would flash back to whoever was in the storyline to when they were kids or teenagers. And I love that visual. That visual was so powerful. And so a lot of times when I'm working with these women and we're all sitting around in our 40s and 50s, some in our 30s, but most women in their 40s and 50s, I like to imagine us, you know, sitting on the playground. Yeah, you know, or sitting in our Girl Scout meeting, (laughs) local (laughs) church, or you know, at the pool at ten, right? And it just, I, I feel like that's the environment I want to create. Like, let's go back to when we were kids and we had no problem laying in the grass and laughing with abandon, you know, with with running and and you know, most middle aged women we can't remember the last time we ran unless we were jogging, right? Right. purpose. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say creating a soft place to land and to to be yourself, to to get back to knowing. Mm -hmm. How do you define the word success? Speaking of success, what does that word mean to you? Success means living with integrity and living in alignment. Period. I feel like whatever that means for you. Yeah. End of story. That's it. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I just love these questions, by the way, Brad. Thank you. I'm going to give you credit and steal some for my next writing. Sure, go for <laughs> it. I'm going to be like, I've got a list of questions. <laughs> um, Absolutely. I'll put my hands Feel together. Like, <laughs> An evil scientist. <laughs> right. That immediately makes me think of codependency, which is a big piece of my journey and many of the journeys of the women I work with. And really understanding what it means to be codependent and what it means to release that and to, again, move into really loving yourself deeply and not looking for others to fill you up. It's kind of like when you're codependent, you try to, you know, bypass, you go through like a middleman. It's crazy. Like instead of just going to the heart of the matter, you go to this other person. So a lot of women that I work with and in my personal experiences, you know, we expect our husbands to make us happy, right? If we're unhappy, it's because this isn't the right relationship. Our husbands are not meeting our needs. They don't see us, whatever. And some of that can be true. I have to qualify. But if you are connected into yourself and you understand that it's important for you to stay on your side of the sidewalk, that you can love someone without being enmeshed with them, that you can have relationship with some level of detachment so that you can stay connected to yourself because it is an exhausting life to try to fill yourself up through another human, whether it be your partner or your children. That reminds me of this thing that you hear people, you complete me. Right. Uh, such <laughs> bullshit. Come on. Really? Exactly. You should not be relying on anybody else in the world to complete you. Yes. Uh, that's ridiculous. You should complete yourself. 100%. It's, it's so romanticized. And yeah. I had to... Where did that come from? Was it Jerry Maguire? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's what pops into my mind. There were some other probably people that supported him long before, but I do think you speaking of pop culture, I remember I loved the movie Urban Cowboy. 
again, mm-hmm. dating myself, great <laughs> flick from the eighties, but I watched it with my children when they were like, you know, in their teenage years. And I was like, this is horrible. Sissy and Bud should not be together. <laughs> People were like abusing each other physically, emotionally, but it was like crazy, but it was like this great love story came back together at the end. And I'm like, no, 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 they shouldn't, they're going to get divorced in about a year. <laughs> you know what I watched the other day is Top Gun, the original. That movie is 36 years old. I know, it's so crazy. It is. I started to watch it and I had to stop for some reason, but I was like, oh my God, I feel so old watching it. <laughs> I was watching it with my wife, my mom, and my youngest daughter. She's 21. And she's like, this is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. This is horrible. But she wanted to go see Top Gun 2. So she wanted to watch the first one just to get a frame of reference for it. And she's like, this is horrible. (laughs) It's like, really? It's not that bad. I mean, but think about it. This was made in the 80s. So they only had a limited amount of technology. They could only do so much. And yes, of course, the movies are drastically different today. But it's just very funny that that comparison is like, this is horrible. It's like, well, it's not that bad. (laughs) No, right. Very funny. I always feel the oldest when I watch old movies, like in the beginning and the end, like the credits for some, like dates it immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Run the credits and the music. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. For sure. The most important thing that I have learned that I would share and I do share is just this permission and importance to, to really tap in and be selfish. Yeah. Well, right. That it's not selfish to focus on yourself. That no, is, absolutely not. It's vital. It's imperative. You're doing yes. your partner a favor, your children a favor, anyone yeah, that's around you. Yeah. Sorry, we went off on a whole other tangent there talking about movies in the 80s. Yeah, and... No, that's good stuff. I love that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Kelly, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Wow. I didn't read that one. Let me think for a second. <laughs> so many people have impacted my life and I just really honor them. I'm going through the list, right? My aunties, my mother, my sister. But really what I'm so aware of these days is is the power of being a parent and loving my children. You know, the expectation is that you're going to have to be teaching them everything. And, you know, you have to have all your ducks in a row and you have to know what you're doing and you have to bestow it upon them. But the reality is that I feel like my children have taught me so much and they have, they've really led me back to myself, you know, watching them live their lives, especially now as they're moving into young adulthood. I remember going with my son to NYU for his welcome new student. And I had a moment where I was like, oh my God, I am going to NYU. This is great. And then I was like, wait a second, Kelly, this is not about you. (laughs) (laughs) You are here with your child. He's right here next to you. Look around, Kelly. Check yourself, Kelly. Check yourself. (laughs) But they continue to remind me of how I want to live my life, what story I want to live. You know, the name of my company is Your Story of Magnificent Color and Light. I know it's a mouthful, but it is a phrase I used in my aunt's eulogy because she was someone that maybe didn't live a life that everyone else would label successful, but she lived in color. I mean, she was an 85 year old woman, beautiful to look at at 85 and drove like a canary yellow Mustang. Love it. She was like living it. So I think, you know, my children have definitely helped to remind me to live in my, all my magnificent color and light. Beautiful. As I mentioned, you're a podcast host. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast and the title, the subject matter? Is it interview style, solo? 
mix of both. Tell us a little bit about it. So I, I feel like I'm still fine tuning my podcast. My podcast is of the same name as my company, Your Story of Magnificent Color and Light. And it right now it's on Podbean. And the first five, six episodes are me and my sister, who is a neuropsychologist, talking okay. about like all the things. So we are just bringing up subjects that are important to women, you know, women in all parts of life. We talk about our lives and our work. And we do a lot of connections into literature and we have started to do um, some guests. And so okay. I think we will move in that direction as well. I see us alternating between the two of us having conversations and, you know, the two of us connecting in with um, guests. It's cool. just such a beautiful platform. I know you've been doing it for a bit now and have yep. so much success. It's such a, a great platform. It is. It is. I love, I love being able to provide this platform, provide this vehicle for women to share their stories and get it out there to the world. It's it's a great way to reach people. I just, I love being able to do this. And I mean, you can do it up, like you can really get going and you can add all kinds of beautiful elements to it. But the thing that I have loved about it so far for me is that I felt like I could jump into it. Yeah. Once I made the commitment to myself, it was something doable. I didn't feel like I had to have a degree in podcasting, in other words. Yeah. You know, I could take my knowledge and my strengths and create something. And I think that's an important message. You know, it, for like sure. it is a vehicle for, for people to share their stories. Absolutely. So I want to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay? okay. What was your dream job as a child? To be a magazine writer. What's the first thing you think of when I say the word future? house at the beach. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? I think too much. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather have more time or more money? Time. What is one of your favorite words? Magnificent. How would you describe yourself in one word? Magnificent. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I love it. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Be courageous. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Deep self-love. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? When I read that question, I thought of Michelle Obama. Okay. I've recently read her book and I just find her so compelling. Okay. What's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Being in relationship with someone who had a substance addiction. I never would have thought that would be part of my world. And when it happened, I was shocked at all of the knowing that I tapped into. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Mm, It would be to let go and let God. Like I live in these, you know, little paraphrases. They help me when I'm overwhelmed. I yep. can go to them quickly and let go and let God is one I constantly tap into. So, you know, I would tell my younger self to to show up, do your part, and then let go of the results. Beautiful. Lastly, Kelly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, to your people, your corner of the world, your tribe, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say or what words of wisdom would you impart? I would definitely talk about courage. I would encourage being courageous. I would encourage again, you know, stepping up, do your part, think about what is your next right step, take it, let go of the results, surrender, 
and then do it all over again. And finally, I would say it's all going to be okay. Like Mm. it really is. In the end, it's all going to be okay. Beautifully said. Wonderful way to end the podcast. Kelly, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey. I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. We've gone off in many different directions, had a lot of laughs. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to sit down and speak with you and and learn more about who you are and what you do. So thank you. I am very incredibly grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. And I'm just so appreciative. Yes. Thank you, Brad. I'm so happy that I have connected with you. I'm so grateful to Hollis for sharing you with me. And yeah, thank you so much for having me here. This is always a blast to do a podcast of any kind, but I've loved chatting with you too. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Kelly schwartz Kevil. She is a published author, a creative, and a social entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Kelly. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.